So in verse number 11, Paul says, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that you would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory, and this is how you walk worthy of God. In verse number 13, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. And this, this portion that we're looking at right here is how the word of God effectually works in the believer, in the believer. If we just let the words go in an ear and out an ear, the word of God doesn't do anything in us. This is in reference to and in light of Mark chapter number four which is the sower, parable of the sower sowing the seed. He sows it on four different types of ground. Those four different types of ground are representative of our hearts. Some of us are stony hearts. Some of us are thorny hearts. Some of us got no heart. <laughs> and some of us have good hearts, fertile ground. And how your heart is depends on what the word does in you. Because look, it's not the word's fault. If we're not walking right, it's not, God's, it's not God's fault. God is just as powerful today as he ever has been. If you've ever been set free in your life by the Spirit of God, you can be set free today. If you've ever experienced liberty, if you've ever experienced God's presence in your life, you don't, it, it, it's not dependent on getting something else special. God's word is just as powerful. It's us having our hearts right, ready to receive. So what he's talking about here is the effectual working of the word of God in the believer, in the believer. How does the word of God effectually work? Well, there was three things that we talked about. It creates in us a heart of worship. It produces in us wholeness. And the last one was it creates in us a watchful spirit, a watchful spirit. And so I want to grab hold of one of those, which is a worshiper. I want to dig down a little bit deeper in this area because when the word of God effectually works in you, it will produce a worshiper. Nobody's going to have to tell you, come on, clap your hands, Jesus is on the throne. Because inside your heart, there's going to be a song always playing that Jesus is on the throne. It, nobody's got to pep you up and tell you, now smile, it's time to worship the king because if the word of God is effectually working in you, you're just a worshiper. You're a worshiper. Now, you may not have everything going on right in your life, and that's what I want to show you tonight. Everything may not be right, but if you're a worshiper, you're going to worship through the circumstances. Through the circumstances because of the word of God doing an effectual work in you. This effectual work, just to help you understand it, 
If you look at in James chapter number five, this uh, common passage that everybody loves, it's, it's talking about Elijah, and he says that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It avails much. The effectual, fervent prayer. This is not having a prayer list and saying, list number one, da-da-da-da-da. List number two, da-da-da-da-da. List number three, da-da-da-da-da. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man is an inward. The, the Webster's Dictionary defines effectual as an, an inward producing effect. This means that there's something going on on the inside when you pray. So when you get a prayer list, the effectual fervent prayer is, oh God, move in their life. Lift the burden off of them, God. You see, that's far different than just reading off a prayer list. It's coming from the inside. It's an effectual fervent prayer. And so if you think about that, and now understand that's what the word of God does in our lives. If you're receiving the word of God correctly, then the word of God becomes an effectual power in your life. The word of God is the steam engine in you. It's an effectual, working, producing thing that happens in the believer. Nobody has to encourage you to be a worshiper if God is at work in your life. Nobody's going to have to encourage you on those areas of, of, of being whole, of being a worshiper, and being watchful. If, if the word of God is taking ground in, fertile, in a fertile heart. Now watch this. Here is, here's what we see in a worshiping, a worshiping spirit. It is not dependent upon our circumstances. If you, if you wait for the perfect circumstances before you worship God with your whole heart, you will not get there till you get to glory, if you get to glory. If you've got to wait till the perfect circumstances to unleash your praise, you'll, it'll never happen. Because circumstances will always be against you. And once you begin to let your circumstances defeat you, the enemy knows how to stop you. Once you let your circumstances defeat you, the enemy knows how to stop you. you understand, your circumstances does not inhibit the word of God from being at work in your life. It's when you quit. It's when you stop pressing in. It's when you stop worshiping. The, the woman with the alabaster box, we talked about her. The woman with the alabaster box, she breaks it on Jesus' feet. And you remember somebody was in the room and they said, why didn't we sell that and give it to the poor? You remember that? Do you know that whenever somebody worships, there's always going to be a comment made by somebody. Well, I don't know why they had to sing that 18 times. Well, I don't know why they had to do, I don't know why they had so many people up. I don't know why they're so quiet. I don't know why they're so loud. I don't know why they're so happy. I don't know why they're clapping their hands. You know, somebody's always going to give a comment and criticize a worshiping spirit. You want to know why? 
You want to know why they, they said, well, they should have just sold that to the poor. You want to know why they said that? Because they were convicted. They were convicted it, it, because they knew that's where they're supposed to be. And when we're not walking the way we should walk, we're not operating in the spirit like we should be, and we're not allowing the word of God to take an effectual place in our lives, then we're going to be just like that. We're always going to be criticizing anybody that outpaces us, anybody that outworships us. Anybody that goes past us, we're going to try to knock them down because it convicts us to know that other people get more excited about Jesus than us. Well, they're just happy. If they, if they had to live life like I got to, they wouldn't be so happy. If they had to endure what I've got to endure, they wouldn't be worshiping God like that. They'd be worshiping God like me. You see, worship is not dependent on circumstances. Worship defies circumstances. Say that again. Worship is not dependent on circumstances. Worship defies circumstances. This worship takes you above the circumstances. Worship takes you to a place that is far beyond what people see with their eyes. When the woman with the alabaster box broke it and she placed it on Jesus and she ministered, she put that oil on Jesus, that alabaster, when she put that on him, it was not, it was not the value of that alabaster that people saw that meant anything. It was the act of worship that meant something. It Worship takes you past what people see with their eyes. When you begin to worship despite your circumstances, you're going into a place that God, that pleases God in a way we can't imagine. It says, you know, that in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. And when you're aware of God's presence in your life and you begin to worship God and, 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 and see his presence, it produces in you a joy that this world can't knock off your face. It'll try, but it can't do it because it's this inward effectual working that God does. Have you ever seen somebody that worships God even when their life is turned upside down? Have you ever seen somebody worship God even when their life is turned upside down? I'm not saying that they're clapping their hands, singing zippity-doo-dah. I'm saying they're lifting their hand with tears in their eyes, and they're saying, blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and he takes away, but still my heart will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. You see, it's not always singing zippity-doo-dah. That's not what we're talking about. But it's always being worshipful. Even if you've got to worship with tears in your eyes, even if you've got to worship with, you know, your hands shaking and your knees knocking, but still knowing I'm going to lavish my praise on the King of Kings, it defies circumstances and it puts you in a place that this world cannot comprehend. It places you where you're supposed to be. If the word of God is doing an effectual work on the inside of us, it'll put in us a heart of worship. If we're only receiving the word of God as it's an academic book, as it's, you know, something, you know, if, if, if that's one of the ways that we 
comprehend the word of God, it's not going to produce this effectual working. It's not going to produce that, that, it's not going to have this drawing effect on the inside of a person. It'll only be head knowledge and it won't be heart knowledge. I've heard it said before that the word of God has to take an 18-inch trip from your head to your heart. It's got to get down in your heart, not just in your head. It's got to get down in that place where it takes root and it begins to do a work that eyes cannot comprehend. Amen? So worship, we're called to worship God despite our circumstances. Let me uh, take you over to a passage in Psalm chapter 95. Uh, Psalm chapter number 95. Just show you something about worship in this passage. You know, all of, all of Psalms is about worship. It's what it is. It's worship. It's about worshiping God. And one of the things that you see, you know, David wrote a lot of the Psalms. And one of the things that we see about David is David failed God often, didn't he? David, and, and when he missed, he missed wide right. He didn't, you know, speaking in football terms, he didn't knock it off the crossbar. I mean, he missed wide right. He missed big time. When he missed, he missed. But when he missed, there was a conviction there, and he came back to God, and he got right. Amen? He said, Lord, I've sinned against you. He asked God for forgiveness. He asked God to cleanse him. He asked God to create a new heart in him. He asked God to restore right spirit in him. He asked God to change him and set him back right again. That's the heart that God was saying when he looked at David and said, this is a man after my own heart. That's what God was talking about. That when we mess up, there's something on the inside that draws us to God, not pulls back from him. And so David, as he's writing all these psalms, he's gone up and he's gone down. He's gone up and he's gone down. But still, in every season of his life, he knows to worship the Lord God. He knows to worship the Lord God, even when he, he can't feel God, you know? He says, come on, oh my soul, let's worship the Lord. Sometimes your soul don't feel like worshiping. Sometimes you got to tell yourself, come on, let's go. Let's worship the Lord. It's this, but you see, the word of God had this effectual inward working in David that no matter how far he failed, no matter how far life knocked him down, he crawled back to God. That's an effectual, fervent thing that God's done on the inside. This burning thing on the inside. That's what the word of God produces in the believer's life. It's not about being perfect. It's about knowing who's perfect. It's not about being perfect. It's about knowing who's perfect and going to him. Going to him. Don't let the devil tell you anything else. The devil will tell you you're not good enough. You're not perfect. What good is it for you? You know you're going to fail again. You're too dirty. You're too late. You're too messed up. You're too bound up. But the Spirit of God says, come. Spirit of God says, come. Spirit of God says, come. 
And God is always compelling us to come unto him. That's the only place we're going to get set free. That's the only place we're going to get in a right mind. That's the only place we're going to be made whole. That's the only place we're going to find peace. And that's the only place we're going to be cleansed from all of our unrighteousness is when we obey the Spirit of God and come no matter what we feel. We feel. See, it's not feeling, it's believing. It's believing. That passage didn't say that the word of God does an effectual work in you that feel like it's doing it. If you wait till it feels perfect, you're going to be waiting a long time. You've got to believe what God has said. You've got to believe what God has said and respond to the Spirit of God. Respond to the promptings of God. God prompts us daily, all throughout our days. God will remind us in the mornings, hey, it's time to pray. God will remind us throughout the day, you know, you're getting a little cranky. You're getting a little wound up. You're getting a little defeated. It's time to pray. It's time to press in. It's time to let it go. God will tell you to let go of stuff, but your flesh wants to hold on to it because if you hold on to those offenses, you hold on to those defeats, it'll rob you from the power of God effectually working in you. Why does that happen? Because the ground's no longer fertile. Back to Mark 4. You hold on to offenses. You hold on to defeats. You hold on to I'm a failure. You hold on to I'm never going to get it. You hold on to it. It's not right yet. I don't feel like it. I don't, it doesn't feel perfect yet. If you hold on to those things, it'll produce in you the wrong kind of ground for the word of God to sit in. Hold on to those things. You've got a vengeful spirit. It's producing in you the wrong kind of ground for the word of God to sit in. You got, it. you got in your heart that you're offended. Somebody offended you 20 years ago, took your inheritance. Somebody offended you 10 years ago, took your parking spot. Somebody offended you five years ago, took your job promotion. Whatever it may be. Somebody did your family wrong. Somebody did your mama wrong. Somebody did your, your, your ball team wrong. Whatever it may be. You hold on to those things. It corrupts the fertile ground. And so the word of God cannot produce what it needs to produce in you because you're not obeying God and coming to God and getting that ground tilled up and made right again. Any, anybody that ever plants anything will tell you the key to it is keeping that ground fertile. The key to it is keeping that ground fertile. You see, Jesus, when he was giving this parable in Mark chapter 4, he was talking to farmers. He was talking to fishers. He was talking to, they didn't have Walmart. If they wanted tomatoes, they had to go plant them in the ground. Amen, or trade for them. But they knew what, they, they knew what had to happen. They knew the ground had to be fertile. If the ground was full of rocks, the seed wouldn't come up. They knew if they planted those seeds in thorny bushes that it would choke the, the tomato out. They knew if they put the seed on the sidewalk, it wouldn't take root. They knew these things. But they knew if they put it in fertile ground, it was going to do what God intended it to do. 
And if you're not experiencing the effectual working of the Spirit of God in your life, if the Word of God's not producing that in us, it's because we need to come to God and get tilled up. We need to come to God and get tilled up. It's nothing to be ashamed of. We've all got to do it. In fact, I believe we all got to do it daily. If you're not allowing the Spirit of God to till you up daily, you're going to get hard-hearted over some issue. Life has its way of presenting multifaceted issues to rob you from being a, a, the, the fertile ground that's needed for the Word of God to produce in your life. You with me? Now, let me show you. Did I say Psalm 95? Is that where we were? Okay, let's look at, let me get up here. Let's look at Psalm 95 in verse number one. We're going to read verses one through six. Look at this. It's talking about worship. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Now, does he say when, when everything's perfect in your life, let's go sing to the king? Did he say, when you get the job promotion you hope for, then go sing to the king? No, I didn't see that either. He said, oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. I'll just add this in here. Now, I could be wrong, but I don't believe that God enjoys the golf clapping. I believe a, when you bring to God a joyful noise, I believe it comes from your heart, not from a golf clap. If you don't know what a golf clap is, watch a golf tournament sometime. They can't clap loud. And that's how people worship. We, we want to do it in form, but not in power. A form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. So we're going to bring to God a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his. He made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. You see, God, his desire is that we know who he is and that we live a life that worships him, not dependent upon our circumstances, not waiting till the time's right, not waiting till somebody else treats us better, but if God is doing a work in us, it's producing in you a worshipful spirit. Amen? As I said earlier, you may not be clapping your hands, you know, and, and, and singing zippity doo You may have to lift your hands with tears in your eyes, shaking before God, but it's worship nonetheless. It's worship nonetheless. That, you know, the woman with... Um, that, that uh, she used her tears and her hair to wash Jesus' feet. She was not singing zippity-doo-dah. But she worshiped Jesus like very few ever have. 
she came to the Lord. She didn't hold back from God. She knew who she was and she knew who he was and she didn't let nothing stop her from giving him the praise and the worship that is worthy of him. Well, if they sing that song I like, I'll clap. If it wasn't so hot, I would, you know, stand up. If it wasn't so cold, I would See, when, when you're at that point where you're crying and using your hair to, to, to wash the feet of Jesus, you don't care what the temperature is. You don't care if you put a hole in your pants when you went down there on your knees. You don't care who's looking at you. You don't care who's talking about you. All that's on your mind is one thing. I'm going to the king. He's worthy of the praise that I'm about to give on him. He's worthy all the great things he's done for me. And she did this before the cross. What do you think that woman would do after the cross? What do you think? What do you think she would do if she was in our shoes? Blow us out of the water. Blow us out of the water. We let every little thing keep us back from lavishing our praises on God. And it's because our ground's not as it should be. Our ground's not as it should be. Let me take you to another passage uh, briefly. Acts chapter number 16. Acts chapter number 16. This is the passage about Paul. Paul and Silas. Yep, this is Paul and Silas because him and Barnabas had their dispute. Sometimes that happens. They came back together later. But they had a little dispute for a while, so Paul begins to take Silas, and him and Silas go uh, um, on the missionary journey. And I heard a minister say this. If the first century church was preaching hey, God has a wonderful plan for your life, they would have never got thrown in jail. It's because the Romans were saying that Caesar was God and they were saying that Jesus was God. They wouldn't bow their knee to Caesar. Amen? So they got hit on both sides from Rome and from the Jews. They were persecuted by both. And, and, and so Paul and Silas are not preaching this, you know, here's how to have a, a, an, an enhanced life. They were preaching, here's how to give your life to God. When they were preaching this message, they got thrown in prison. I just want to show you this. Acts chapter 16, verse number 23. When they had laid many stripes on them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Now, understand what that means. The jailer is responsible with his life for these inmates. He doesn't clock in and out. He's responsible for their life. They were beaten, put in prison because they preached the gospel without compromise. And what happens? 24. 
who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. The word fast means secure. Secure. A fastener is a screw or a bolt. So they made their feet secure to the prison cell. They weren't going nowhere. Some people are stuck like that right now. Some people are stuck in an offense. Some people are stuck by an addiction. Some people are stuck by a bondage. Some people can't get past, you know, pornography, lustful eyes, covetous in their heart. Some people can't get past idolatry. Some people get, can't get past those things. Some people can't get past an addiction to drugs or alcohol or food or whatever it may be. Some people can't get past them. They're stuck just like Paul and Silas. They were stuck in that prison. Their feet were held fast and they couldn't move. Why is this happening to me? Why me? Why am I having to go through this? Nobody else is. Nobody else is having to endure what I'm having to endure. We can all go down the pity party road, but if you go down the pity party road, the word of God's not going to effectually work in your life because you're corrupting the fertile ground. So what do they do? Do they complain about it? Do they complain about it? Do they, do they say, you know what? The, I hear the church out there worshiping, you know? I hear them out there worshiping. They wouldn't be worshiping if they were in here like us. If, if, you know, if life had treated them like life is treating us, they wouldn't be worshiping. See how we get these smug attitudes comparing ourselves against others. Let me ask you a question. Woman with the issue of blood, was she looking at what others did or was she looking at Jesus? Woman with the alabaster box, was she looking at other people or Jesus? Woman who wiped Jesus' feet with her hair, was she looking at others? No, well, nobody else has wiped his feet with their hair, so I don't guess I should. Has that ever happened before? Had anybody ever done that? No, but it was on her heart to do it. So she did it. She didn't wait till somebody else did it. She didn't wait till it felt right. She just, she looked at him and it was put on her heart to do it and she did it. She wasn't comparing herself against anybody else. Nobody else is lifting their hands. Nobody else is praising God like that. Nobody else is shouting glory. So I don't guess I will. Because, you know, I don't want to stand out and look crazy. See, these people that are written of in the word of God, they didn't care about not standing out. Their eyes were locked on their Savior. Their eyes were locked on their Savior. Watch what it says here. So their feet were secured fast. In verse number 25, and at midnight, you know that's the darkest part of the night, right? At midnight. Isn't that whenever all hope looks lost? How many of you have been through a midnight situation? Don't look like it's ever going to change. Don't look like it's ever going to change. 
Nothing is going to change. When you're in prison for preaching the gospel and it's midnight, that's a lonely place. However, however, Paul and Silas, their worship was not contingent on their circumstances. They didn't worship because it felt good, because it felt right. Everything else was taken care of. Everybody else is worshiping, so now I'll join in. Their eyes were firmly fixed on the Savior. And at midnight, in that midnight hour, something changed. It says at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. The prison cell was broken when God's people worshiped from a heart of an effectual working. They weren't golf clap worshiping. They weren't, they didn't say, it's midnight, let's sing our hymn. Well, it's 1045, let's sing our praise song. They didn't say that. It was midnight, they prayed, their heart was stirred by the Spirit of God, and they began to praise God, and as they were praising, the prison walls were shaken. This happens from a heart that the Word of God is effectually working in. Amen? Effectually working in. Let me take you to one more place. Go to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. You see, if Paul was problem-focused... Like many of us, you know many people are problem-focused? Well, I would, but, but, well, I would do this, but many of us are problem-focused. We focused on what's stopping us. If Paul was problem-focused, he would have written, written a letter to the complaint department Now, how are we supposed to worship God when y'all got us all beaten and in prison? I can't even move my feet. If I could move my feet, I might could worship. You think they had air conditioning? You think they sprayed for bugs? You think they fed them after they beat them? I'm hungry. I'm sweating, I'm bleeding, I can't move my feet. Let's pray and worship the Lord. Far different, far different from many people today. Far different than many people today who can't even go to church when it rains. Can't even go to church because the ball game's on. Can't even go to church because they got a headache. 
can't go to church because they got a this ache or a that ache. You know, if the enemy knows all it takes is an ache to stop you, he'll keep on putting it on you. If he knows if he can keep you up at night, you'll oversleep, he'll keep you up every Saturday night. You give him an inch, he'll take it and more. You give the enemy a toehold, he'll put a foot right in it and bust the door open. You give him an inch, he'll take a mile. You give him, you give him a little inroad, he'll make it a highway. And he'll grab hold of you. Well, what you see is Paul, he wasn't problem focused. He was focused on where the solution came from. Being problem focused is always complaining about it's hot, it's cold, it's not this, I have that. Well, I wish I had this, but now I have that. I would do this, but this. We've got so many excuses flying around the people of God today. So many. And, and, and the, the change that takes place is this effectual working of the Spirit of God in our hearts. You see, if it's not God compelling somebody to worship at midnight, you can't make them worship at midnight. You can't tell them, come on, brother, you need to be happy in the Lord. Worship him if it's not the Spirit of God doing it. It's like people that, that attend a church. You know, you can go grab folks by the nose and make them sit on the pews. But does that count in God's eyes? You know, you can hogtie your spouse and make them come to church. If you don't come, I'm not feeding you for two weeks. But if it's not God doing the drawing, if it's not coming from this inward place, see what I mean? It's going to fail till something changes. Till something changes, till this effectual working takes place, it's going to be a work of the flesh. Now, once the effectual working takes place, everything changes. See, when we sing our worship songs, if we're not doing it from an effectual, fervent spirit, it's just empty words. It's vain jangling. It's clanging cymbals. But if we're on fire on the inside, it's going to come on the outside. Here in, in, in 2 Samuel, David was a worshiper, as we said earlier. And the, the, the ark of God, the ark of the Lord, not Noah's ark. He's not worshiping a boat. He's, ark, he's worshiping the ark of the covenant. Now, the ark of the covenant in the Old Testament, it represents God's presence. You know why it represents God's presence? Because God would come and meet the nation at the mercy seat. On that mercy seat is where the blood was, was sprinkled. That incense, and it was a pleasing sacrifice to God. And, and, and that's where God would come down and meet with the people. The mercy seat 
which is where Jesus applied his blood in heaven. You know, the temple and the ark and all that, that's just a diagram of what's in heaven. So the, the ark's been gone for a while. And now they're bringing it back to its rightful place. Have you ever been away from God for a while? You ever gone down a road where God's presence is missing? You've had to go through the motions. You've had to have that form of godliness, but not the power. You know, without the presence of God, it's just going through the motions, right? And, and that's what they had been experiencing. They had just been experiencing this formalism. There hadn't been any, there, there's no, it's all, it's all smoke and mirrors. There's no substance. There's no reality. There's no fire on the inside. There's no presence there indwelling. And, and, and the ark is coming back home, and David is overjoyed. He's overjoyed. When you know God's beginning to draw you back home, when you know you hear the Spirit of God say, come, let go of all those worldly things. Let go of your excuses. Let go of those things holding you back, and come, come unto me, and I will restore your joy. I will restore your heart. I will restore your peace. I will restore all the things that the enemy has taken from you just come I bid you to come Jesus says right when you know that God's doing this drawing and you feel it you know there's this excitement that picks up when you say hey things are about to change things are about to change I remember what that felt like and it's about to change when God's presence was coming back to town David was overjoyed you know that David you know he was such a worshiper he wrote all those psalms right can you imagine when the symbol of God's presence was making its way back? Can you imagine what joy was in his heart? Can you imagine it? Oh, everything's about to change. I've been holding on for dear life, but now the fire's returning. I've been holding on for dear life, but the fire's coming back. I feel it. Like Jeremiah said, like a fire shot up in my bones. I feel it down in my toes. It's working on the inside and it's coming to the outside. God's beginning to do a work in me. God's beginning to restore the fire of the Lord in my soul. You see, David began to feel it. David began to get compelled. David began to get excited about the Lord again. Amen? And so this this working it's an inward work when david's beginning to get this excitement it's he didn't he didn't have somebody next to him saying now david you need to get excited because God, the presence of the lord's coming back now david you need to get excited because the joy of the lord is returning nobody had to sit next to him and tell him to golf clap for god Nobody had to sit next to him and tell him, lift up your hands, God is here. Nobody had to tell him those things. It was a work on the inside of him. Amen. It was a work on the inside of him. And look what it says in verse number 14. Verse number 14. Well, let's look at 13. It says, and it was so that when they, that bear the ark of the Lord had gone Six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. This is when the, when the procession just started to come to its place, 
when they went six paces, David said, hold on, hold on, I've got to do a happy dance. We've got to make a sacrifice. Things are beginning to get restored. The, the joy of the Lord's beginning to come back. And so he, he stopped it and he, he, they sacrificed oxen and fatlings. Look what it says. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was girded with the linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michelle, Saul's daughter, looked through the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord and she despised him in her heart. Betrayal of the ages. David, the joy is restoring. It's coming back. The fire's re re being restored in his soul. His vision is coming back. He's able to see again. He's able to think again. He's able to feel again. The presence of the Lord is back. And he's overjoyed. It says he dances before the Lord with all his might. He doesn't hold back. He doesn't golf clap. He doesn't do as the church does today. Well, let's worship for 10 minutes. When is this song going to be over? Do they have to do it again? Oh, great. Altar call time. You see, when it came to worship, David let his heart go. He let his heart go because his heart was fertile. He had fertile ground there for God to work with. And notice that his spouse, his wife, despised him. I told you earlier, when you begin to go forward in God, when you begin to get unshackled, when you begin to get set free, when you begin to get hungry for the presence of God, it will never fail. Somebody will always say something to try to extinguish the fire in you. Well, I know you got to go to church, but do you got to go every time? Well, I know you got to sing, but do you got to sing that loud? Man, I've been to a church one time where a, a, a guy was worshiping the Lord, and I'll never forget that they sing this song, I'll rise up on wings of eagles, you know? It talks about in Isaiah, I'll rise up on wings of eagles. And when they sing that song, that man, he would go up to the front of the altars and he would be flapping his arms. He would be flapping those arms because he was telling God, I'm rising, I'm rising on wings of eagles. And he would just be flapping his arms. But I'll tell you something, as that church began to grow, they began to pull that man to the side and they began to tell him, you need to tone it down. You need to tone it down. You don't need to be acting like that. We're trying to you know impress other people we we don't want to run people off thinking we're weird you don't need to be worshiping like that and they they pulled that man to the
the side so many times he began to not go to that church no more. Just like David's wife. Why are you so happy? Why are you so happy? You need to be down where we are. It's not all that great. Come, come back down into this bondage with us. Come back down into these shackles with us. Come back down into this form of godliness where there is no power. Come back down where there is no fire. Now, I've seen this happen in a church. And it broke my heart. Still does when I think about it. But do you know that every time you go to get excited for God, that the enemy will bring somebody or he'll whisper in your ears. You start shouting for God, the enemy's going to say, nobody else is shouting. If you, as David, begin to dance before the Lord with all your might, the enemy will whisper so sweetly in your ear. Everybody's looking. And at that point in time, you've got to make a decision. Whether you're there to entertain men or there to please God. You want the fire to continue to unfurl in your life. You've got to continue looking at God and God alone. Pleasing God and not man. You've got to make that determination in you. Because as, as we're preaching this message, and as God begins to restore a fire inside you, at the first sign of a fire in your soul, the enemy will nevertheless come to stamp it out. You've probably had that happen to you. You've probably had it happen to you where you was in church one time and the spirit of the Lord moved. It was as if revival came and then everybody went to lunch and by the time you got home, nobody knew if they were saved anymore. The enemy will come quickly when the fire begins to burn. And here you see David. He says he's dancing and his wife despises him. We're going to move over move over a, a couple of verses to verse number 20. After they came, they set up the ark and they did all that they were supposed to do. Verse number 20, it says, David returned to bless his household. And Michelle, the daughter of Saul, came to meet David and said, now she's mocking him, right? How glorious was the king of Israel today who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself. Notice there's an exclamation point. You could probably hear it in her scorning voice. Ah, how glorious it was today. Who do you think you are being excited for God? 
Now, David's response. David said unto Michelle, it was before the Lord which chose me before thy father and before all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of God over Israel. Therefore, I will play before the Lord and I will yet be more vile than this and will be base in my own sight and of the maidservants which thou hast spoken of of them shall I be had in honor. Now what did he say? He said, I can get more vile than this. You, you think by me dancing before God, I defiled myself? I can get more vile than that. In other words, if you think I'm crazy for God now, watch this. You think I'm praising God now? I'm going to go 10 times harder now. You're not going to stop me from worshiping the Lord my God. You're not going to remove the fire that God's put in my soul. You're not going to stop me from lifting my hands and dancing before the king and lavishing the praise of him who's worthy. Now, bringing this back in, oh, back over there where we started, it said that, 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 that Paul, his desire, his desire was that they would walk worthy of God. And if the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, is doing an effectual work in us who believe we will worship the way we should. We will worship and sing to God despite the circumstances, despite our surroundings, with our eyes on Him, not on them. With our eyes on Him, not on them. Understand, when you're in a room of other people, you're not going to stand before them on judgment day. 